All right, welcome to the Two Sons Podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. We are going to be covering the Rings of Power episode today, the new one from this last week. Um, a couple things before we get started. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Don't forget to follow all of our socials as well. I put a link underneath all of our videos that take you to all of our socials. It's just a great way to kind of stay up to speed with what we're doing. As yeah. always, we sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and that's the best way to kind of follow along with us. So um, I thought this was the penult- the penultimate episode of Lord of the Rings before this inevitable conflict that's going to take place mm-hmm. at uh, at this garrison to the uh, um, north of the Southlands, and we see at the end, Arondir's talking to the the chick, the chick who cuts off the orc's head, and he's basically like their garrison to the north. You could see like from the top of the tower, you could see their their tents and all of their. Uh, you know, a, a army just waiting basically. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, they might be here in weeks. They might be here in hours. Whenever they decide to march, they'll be here. And they start marching at the end of the episode. That's that. So that's the penultimate vibe. We, there's a bunch of other stuff that happens though. Back, uh, back yeah, in Numenor. It was actually a complicated episode. Dude, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Galadriel, uh, manages to convince Halbrand to join because the whole, you, you find out, and I thought this was really interesting. Like they're led to believe in the last episode that the Numenorians are getting involved because of like a sense of purpose from the leaves falling from the tree. Right. But the prime minister leads you to believe that there's Numenor basically wants to have a presence over there for their own self-interest, right. essentially, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. But they needed Halbrin to go there because it was like it, it, the, basically that's part of their whole their whole plan to form a kingdom there. They need Halbrin right. to be that guy, uh, which I thought was interesting because they the Numenorians definitely strike me as a self-interest type of society. Most definitely, they're trying mm-hmm. to get high on their horse. They're trying to prove themselves to the elves. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need the elves. We even don't need though the elves, We do. Yeah. Yeah, even though they're like allying with the elves for this incident, it's like they don't, it's all like for this ulterior motive to put. Right. And at one point, he actually says, like, one day the elves will be inferior to right. us, which I'm like, okay, bro, good luck with Chill that. Out. We'll see how that goes. Chill. Yeah. There's a lot. I, I really like Halbrand's character. Um, I like the fact that he is trying to just put his past behind him. And he's like, hey, I just want to live a simple life. I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to be king of anything. Like, I really like making swords. Just leave me alone and then obviously that changes as soon as it changes though it cracks me up because he, he's kind of like this skinny looking character and all of a sudden he's just mounted on this horse just looking like stately. just decked out ready yeah, to go just looking sweet cleans up nice he cleans Say, up nice. similar thing yeah. happens with aragorn because he's always kind of like drifter like and then suddenly he's a ranger you know and and the next thing you know he's like dressed up like a king and you're like oh okay see yeah the uh he gets his guild crest we find out from betraying Galadriel in the last episode by telling the Queen Regent where she was going when she broke out of the the, the jail cell that one time, which I thought was interesting. Yep. Um, there's clearly a an anti-invasion movement within Numenor that mm-hmm. blows up two of their five ships, but they decide to move forward anyway. Um, Isildur manages to convince his dad to let him go, but right. as a stable boy, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> I know that was such a good uh, father teaching moment, by the way. Oh, was, dude, I it, just was, loved it was hilarious. And then he, he did, humiliates him in front of his right buddies, in front of yeah. his buddies, and I liked it too because he handled it gracefully, and then his buddies did too. They're like kind of laughed about it and gave him a hug. Lots of good vibes from Elendil. Lots of good vibes. Elendil he, gives me good dad vibes. And you know what? All around good vibes for Lord of the Rings in comparison to Game of Thrones. <laughs> Less face pulpings and yes. random acts of incest. Ask me which <laughs> show I'm liking more. <laughs> That's so funny. 
<laughs> um, so there's two uh, major things that we got to hit on. First of all, the ADAR stuff. So half of the garrison at the watchtower, led by the creepy old man, just incredible bad move. Oh yeah, decides to go <laughs> just, become oh allies gosh. with uh, with with what they believe is Sauron. Yeah, and the old guy actually pledges allegiance to him and refers to him as Sauron. To Sauron. And he gets pissed off yep. about it, which I which I thought was really interesting on a couple levels because earlier in the episode, a Rondier is talking to the chick at the garrison. And he basically says like, uh, and I I somehow missed this in their original conversation, but he says that uh, that uh, Adar told him that he wants to become a god. Mm. That combines with one of our YouTube comments that we got a little while back that the story of the Rings of Power involves Sauron's like lesser form getting the Ring of Power, which then allows him to become. Sauron, the, the the godlike figure that he right. is. So that kind of matches up with that storyline. Also heavily implies that it is Sauron. Yeah. Maybe he's more offended because he feels like he hasn't achieved that status yet mm-hmm. in some sort of way, shape, or form, which yeah. I thought was interesting. But that whole dynamic surrounding... Adar and whether or not he's Sauron, his desire to become a god, him getting mad at the guy was kind of like a, it kind of sets up Adar as like an unfinished product or like a, a, a creature kind of ser- like in search of his of eventual form, if that makes yeah. sense. No, and I I guess it just highlights the evilness of, of Adar and the Oryx because you get these, this small group of people that are pledging allegiance to them and immediately he pits them against each other. And and makes that one guy. It was it was that his no, it's not his son, but he he essentially gives him the knife, and we don't know if he kills the kid or not. But it's just it sets a tone for just ultimate bad. Choice. Yeah, like prove your prove your allegiance to me prove by your killing this like, random child. Right. He it looked like he was about to do that. It looked like he, looked was. Like he was about to do that shit. Well, and that guy is very weak minded because he goes, oh, even if you're not Sauron, I'll, I'll pledge my allegiance to you. Yeah, like he's just he's clearly like his survival instinct is just to like run around the room. Like, what do you want me to do? I'll do yeah, anything. Who's, <laughs> yeah, who's more likely to win? Like, let's just join up with them. Yeah, exactly. Like bet on the winner type of deal. Yeah. Um, the uh, the sword, the hilt. We discover that uh, it represents some sort of key. key to mm-hmm. Sauron's ability to subjugate the Southlands. So yeah. as and there's a way to kind of search around this. So from what we know in the Morgoth battle, which I thought was really cool how we find out that uh uh one of the stronger elves gets infused with power mm. from the uh, from the um uh blanking on what they're called the basically the superior beings above the elves that the one that uh, Morgoth was one of but broke apart, and essentially like it's interesting that they fought vicariously through those two beings because right. the, there's the elf who's clearly beneath the Valar. That's the what Valar. He's beneath the Valar, and the Balrog is beneath Morgoth. And little little hint when uh, when Gandalf first mentions the Balrog in the Fellowship of the Ring, he refers to it as the Balrog of Morgoth. I don't know if you picked that up when you because I heard you and Elena yeah, were rewatching it. We are, but uh, but they they have a battle over. Essentially, the elf is trying to pour his light into the tree, and the and the Balrog is like 
like slashing it with his like uh, fire whip that he has in, in Fellowship of the Ring. And, and essentially, from what I understand, it's like an, a conflict that just is keep that keeps going and nothing. But in the process, it's like pouring all of this energy down Super into cool. the earth. To make the mithril. Yeah. And like, and, and that kind of tees up the, the, the mithril thing. So there's a moment in, in I want to say it's Fellowship of the Ring where uh, Gandalf and some of the others ask the elves to help in the journey to deliver the ring to, uh, to Mount Doom. And Elrond basically says, old Elrond basically says like, we can't help. Our light is fading too much. Like we don't have our, the power we used to. Yeah. So all of us are sailing back to Valinor and little by little they're going back in ships. And obviously the last ship goes at the end of return of the King. But what's interesting about that is like the, it's clear that that same problem was perceived at this point. Cause we see the tree with the infection on it, the corruption on right. the tree. And they think that this mithril is going to like, if they clad saving grace yeah if they clad themselves in this mithril it's going to save them and clearly it doesn't yeah and what's funny is like they enter into this ally relationship with the dwarves for the mithril um basically initiated by elrond and durin yeah and it obviously leads at some point to the elves and the dwarves having a massive falling out and it doesn't even solve the problem which is kind of like a sad but very tragic yeah, but it's also to me, it's I think it's classic corruption of man where like they see something that looks good to them, in this case the mithril, and it clouds their judgment and they're to the willing point to do where anything. they're willing to do anything to get it. It's, Including just trample relationships exactly. and promises. What did you think of the uh the little scene with, with Elrond and, and Durin when when Elrond lets them know, hey, I mean, I have to break your promise about the mithril. Durant handles it super well, very graciously. And he just, he, he, he kind of pokes fun at the elves. He's like, oh, the elves oh, need yeah. me. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm in control. Well, it's, it's, there's clearly a ton of trust between them because mm-hmm. the story is ridiculous because basically Elrond swears on everything that he's right. going to keep his promise. And then when he tells him no, it's like, okay, here's the deal, dude. I broke your promise. But here's why. We're all going to die. Like that's basically what he says, right? And and it's kind of a ludicrous story, and it's also like it's also like, hey, dude, we need to go deep into your minds and steal all of your super valuable ore, or we're gonna die. Like that, in and of itself, is just an absurd thing to say. And Durin just takes it, like, and it's just like he cool does down, just know? ultimate good friend. Yeah, but that, and and that's what I mean. Is like he has ultimate trust for yeah. Elrond, and then you know ends, I mean? ends up destroying his people. Mm-hmm. And and it turns out I I believe that the the person who really uh, uh, made the poor judgment call here is that king, the one who the one who oh why do you say that well uh, he's the one that actually like basically told Elrond that they need the mithril oh the elf king the elf I thought you were talking about the um um dwarf king no no no. I see yeah what do you think of his character do you think do you think he's a good guy I mean obviously he's a good guy he's kind of a he's kind of a jerk though he's kind of an a-hole i think he's just i think he's representative of elvish um like ideals like 
pomposity yeah. and and materialism and that kind of that kind of thing. Like I think I think he represents everything that's wrong with the elves. Like mm. from the from the insults he was throwing towards Durin at the dinner at table, the dinner. like in that kind of thing. And I love Durin's little prank where he runs where he says you got to deliver the stone back. This <laughs> <laughs> is heavy table. All the elves are walking back with it. It's so funny, oh, dude. Well, Carly and I have this like absurdly heavy table in the dining room at at, at our house, and like one day we're gonna have to get rid of that thing. And I still to this day like every time I see it, I'm just like that's gonna be such a pain in the ass like dude i know that you hate it so much because i know that you, you you in the past you've told me about how heavy that table is. oh it's absurd it's a stone table we'll give it to the elves. that is like a solid like six feet in diameter <laughs> and is like stone. this thick <laughs> sacred stone dude yeah I'd, like it's the most ridiculous it's the most ridiculous piece of furniture uh in the entire world and we inherited it from her mom but it's like it's it's just ridiculous, but anyway, I th- I thought that the Duran dynamic was interesting, and and I and and it's kind of it's kind of interesting that like these other two power players, the Dwarven King and the Elven King, are like kind of like engaging in this nefarious behavior that's involving the Mithril, but it's being right. led by these two very honorable people and yeah. their relationship, which is like this very weak link that kind of connects the two the two parties together, both of whom have very good hearts. Um. So, do you want to hear my theory? Yes. So, no. <laughs> don't, don't tell me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not today. Tell me later. There's a uh, there's a a moment where the queen regent asks Halbrand where he thinks the um, um, the first conflict with Adar is going to happen, and he cl- he points to Osterith, and that's the name of the watchtower that we keep forgetting, Osterith. And he points to Osterith. He's like, this is where they'll go. So my theory is that we've been watching two timelines. Um, not far apart, but just presumably like a month or two apart. Mm. I think that in the next episode, the orcs are going to launch their attack on Osterith. They're going to be winning the battle for the vast majority of the episode. And then at the very end, the Numenorians are going to show up and save the day. I think it's and valid. I, and I think that the entire premise is like they're showing us how the Numenorians came to be there. Mm-hmm. At the same time as showing us how the conflict was about to take place. But essentially the Numenorian timeline is like one month behind where the the stuff with Adar is so that they can have this month to travel I and see. to show up where they're going. I think that's, that's a my great theory. take. No, I think you're totally right. I would not be surprised at all, mainly for plot development too and also for character development. Like, mm-hmm. They're not going to have those characters just just run away. And mm-hmm. certainly those characters aren't all going to die. Exactly. Right? So exactly. I, I think that's a great take. I completely um, agree. Is there anything else in your notes that you wanted to hit on? Dude, the Harfoots are jerks to each other. Okay, let's hear it. They're, so they're just so down to just leave their people behind anytime that they move. It's wild to me because the, it seems to me like the, uh, our group of Harfoots that's led by the wizard guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me like they're still in the train, but they're really far behind. Yeah. And like, and essentially when they reach their destinations, they just kind of trickle in behind them, but then yeah. eventually they're going to get lost. They're incredibly, uh, it's kind of funny because it, it, they go on two two extremes. One second they're singing and dancing and wearing goofy clothes together, just kind of like having a grand old time. And then the next, they're they're just completely leaving their people in the and dust super ruthless. to die. Yeah. yeah, it's just a bizarre. It's a bizarre. Oh, um, what we totally missed something. So uh, there is a creepy looking Eminem esque uh, white evil wizard that is chasing. The uh, creepy guy, creepy or the 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 homeless looking wizard guy. Oh yeah, yeah. So so 
Homeless that was, looking wizard man. Yeah, so that was interesting to me because like my theory, my the- one of my theories is that that guy might be Gandalf. Um, and this is, again, if there's somebody who knows Lord of the Rings lore, please put it in there uh, in the comments and let us know. But like the uh, there's these wizards that existed in the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, there's the forest wizard, there's Sauron, there's, uh, uh, there's uh, Gandalf. Gandalf is actually, uh, Sauron himself is actually considered, I believe, of the same ilk or type of power, a powerful being as those guys are. And so my theory is that these are two wizards that are existing in this world. And um, it's clear that the white dude, the dude in the white uh, robes that has the Eminem-esque appearance is chasing this guy. But the, the one thing that's weird is like, I want really badly to think that that guy's good and that he's Gandalf or whatever, but he keeps having this weird vision that goes back to his like fire, fire right. spider web that's around him when he's on the ground. Right. And so like, I'm just generally confused as to who that guy is, what his purpose is. Like, what if that was like the big twist? Like he's Sauron or something. Like I, I'm just, I'm <laughs> all of a sudden I'm, he just I'm, goes crazy. It just starts killing Harfoots by the dozen. Yeah. But I just, I'd have no idea where they're going with that. And I'm really yeah. curious to see what happens. I'm curious too. Mm-hmm. And I think there's limited speculation that you can have. And again, maybe our viewers have, have this all figured out, but yeah, I have so limited speculation as far as what I think is going to happen with the stranger quote. Mm. The stra- so, yeah, the stranger is completely up in the air for me. I, I do think no he's idea. a wizard. I, th- I think that's pretty obvious. His power is clear as a at wizard. At this point. Yeah. yeah. Is that all you got? That's all I got. All right, guys. As always, we sincerely appreciate your support. We will be back with a bunch of recordings on next Wednesday. And then basically one month from today our availability opens up to where we're going to be able to start recording more. Cause like obviously our Lord of the Rings episode is coming out on the day that the new episode comes <laughs> out. So my point is, is like we're going to eventually have it a little bit more timely uh, fashion um, right. and we'll record quickly after stuff comes out. But, uh, and I, we were listening back to that other episode and the vibes are just better in the evening. Luke and I have more energy. His wife is sleeping in the next room cause she's a nurse that works overnight. Like it's morning, it's coffee vibes. It's not, right. you know, high energy vibes. So we're going to, it's going to, this is going to get better in the long run, but we appreciate those of you guys who have supported us and we will be back next week. Thanks a lot.